Palm Sunday. Um, we're going to take the account out of the book of Luke, so go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. This obviously was not an ordinary day. This is the day that Jesus would initiate a week that would change the course of history forever, for eternity. Verse 28, the account begins with saying, when he had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. And it came to pass. Near Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples. Go into a village opposite of you, where you will enter into and find a colt tied up on which no one has ever sat. Loosen it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those two were sent out, and they went their way, and they found just as it had been said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owner of it said, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him, and they went. And many spread their clothes on the road. Then he was now drawing near to, to the descent of the Mount of Olives, where the whole multitude of disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for the mighty works they have seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you, that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Lord, this is, this is radical, and we ask that you would open our heart, mind, and soul to receive this truth. You would help us to uh, apply it. You would help us to be revived as your people. Draw us in. Draw us in, Lord, to what you're doing. We want to hear what the Spirit has to say in regards to this text. And so we crowd around you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. It's in your name we pray. All God's children said, amen, amen. Well, a couple things I want to look at in this text. One, the significance of the place and the significance of the purpose. The place was significant because it was prophesied. It was prophesied by the prophet Zechariah probably about 400 years prior to this event taking place. Which, as a side note, 
Prophecy has always boggled my mind. It's unbelievable that 400 years prior to this event taking place, it was prophesied that the Heavenly Father would give insight to one of his people to what was to take place 400 years in the present. And now we're looking in the past, and friends, what this does to us is is it validates the Word of God. Amen? People, this is one prophecy that is becoming fulfilled. There's thousands of prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ alone, and we know that there is still prophecy to be fulfilled. His second coming. Can I get an amen? The Bible declares that he is coming again just as it declared that he came the first time. And not only did he declare that, but Jesus came and he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. And we read in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. That was prophesied 400 years. Now understand this. Prophecy was fulfilled not in the terms of manipulation. Jesus just didn't roll up and say, okay, there were some things written about me, so I need to make this happen. No, he just walked in it, in obedience to the Father. Walking in obedience, fulfilled prophecy. And so this place, Jerusalem, the beloved city of David, was very significant. Psalm 87.3 says that it's the city of God. The book of Revelation declares Jerusalem as the city of gold. In Zechariah 8.3, it's called the city of truth. The question is, why is this city so special? Why did God set his affection on this little town. This little city, the city of Zion, sweet Jerusalem. Well, first of all, this city would be the very place that the Father would send his only begotten Son to die, to die for humanity, to die for you and I. The name Jerusalem means city of peace. City of peace. One would find that hard to believe if you went there today, and I've been there many times, and every time it doesn't have a sense of a city of peace, but yet that is what the word Jerusalem means, city of peace. The Bible has declared it to be the place where God would reconcile Humanity to himself. That's what makes it the city of peace. Not necessarily the people there. It's the God who's declared it to be so. It's the God who's declared it to be so. You may have heard the question oftentimes, have you made your peace with God? Well, listen, friends. There is no peace apart from God. There is no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. To make your peace with God is to make peace with Christ, understanding the significance of his coming. Isaiah 48, 22 says, there is no peace for the wicked. There's no peace for 
humanity apart from the Prince of Peace. Why? Because from the very beginning in the book of Revelation, we read of an account, a story, a narrative that took place in Genesis. This man that was created by God, Adam. And there was this sweet relationship that they had. God would put Adam in charge of naming all these animals. And in this relationship, they had sweet times of fellowship. But that fellowship was broken because of disobedience. And in that disobedience, we would now all be participants of what we call the fall or the curse, the curse of sin, sin entering into this world. But thanks be to God that Jesus would declare himself to be the second Adam. And as we read, and if you guys remember, in the book of Ephesians 2.16, God reconciled humanity through his son Jesus Christ. The cross would remedy this curse. The cross would remedy this broken relationship. And so as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he knew he was on a mission of mercy. He knew the task at hand. But it's very interesting that he would ride in on a donkey. The significance of that. The donkey was a symbol of peace. Now mind you, again, God's ways generally, well, always not our ways. See, I would not have picked a donkey to ride in on. If I'm revealing myself to be king, I'm not rolling up on a donkey. Right? Give me a Clydesdale, give me a black stallion, give me anything but a donkey. He would ride in on a donkey because of the significance of what it meant. You and I know this age to be the age of grace. If he rode in on a stallion, we would be sad. We would be done. Because the purpose would be completely different. The significance would be different. But because he rode in on a donkey, signifying him being the prince of peace and that he was bringing peace to earth. He was bringing peace to you and I. Those who would believe in him would have peace because peace would bring reconciliation between our heavenly father, our maker. And so this was very significant. But as prophesied, we know, you students of the Bible know, that there is a second coming where he will be riding in on a white horse. Caballo Blanco, right? We know this. That's when he rolls in on this horse and he opens up the craziest can. A lot of times we want that, but listen, we need Jesus to ride in on this donkey because it symbolizes peace. But when he comes again, there is a war that the book of Revelation talks about that you and I, want to be 
on the side with Caballo Blanco. Even the millennial reign, he sets up his kingdom in the holy city of Jerusalem, the city of peace. Zechariah 6.13 says, Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and it shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. Long for this. And the council of peace shall be between the both. And, and friends, that is when our king, in his second coming, sets things up and unfolds his continual mission, his plan, and his purpose. But until then, we see back here in this part of this story that he rides in on this donkey, and as the people are gathered, interesting enough, the background of the people who are there, there's religious leaders, there's Pharisees, there's the rich, there's the poor, because if you were a male within 25 miles, you had to be there. It was mandatory for you to be there. Some scholars say that the gathering of this entry, there was somewhat up to possibly a half a million people gathered in Jerusalem. And if you've been there, you know that that city doesn't really fit that many people, but that's how many people would gather. Because it was Passover. And note what is said in verse 13. The Jews, they, they cry out, blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, God had prophesied to send a redeemer, a Messiah to Israel. We know that. Matthew 1.21 says, An angel of the Lord said to Joseph concerning Mary, And she shall bring forth a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, or Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. This was prophesied. This was God's plan, purpose. And here we find on this Sunday, the people are caught up and they begin to cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save us. Unfortunately, some of these people, a few days later, would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. We'll be talking about that next week. So the sad story is that history would record that Israel rejected their Messiah. And instead of receiving him, they crucified him. Jesus knew this when he rode in on the donkey. And Peter, later in Acts, would declare to the people, he would remind them, he would say, this is Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. And God rose him from the dead. He would remind them when he would come out and he would preach a sermon to them. Thanks be to God that the mission of God would not remain in Jerusalem. But we know because of the book of Acts 1.8 says, And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem 
in Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the earth, that message would go out ultimately to you and I. We would receive this message. It did not remain in Jerusalem. It was not just for Jerusalem, but it was for all who would believe. It would be for all who would read. It would be for all who would receive this Savior, this King, Jesus Christ, who declared himself to be King here in Jerusalem. That was the place. And the significance of that was, again, prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy fulfilled. But what was the significance of the purpose? Well, again, it was for Jesus to present himself as king. Up until this point, he was somewhat discreet about it. Right? Throughout the Gospels, he was always on the down low. He was always on a hush-hush. shh don't tell nobody. He would heal the woman at the well. Okay, go. Don't tell nobody. He was on the down low. But it was not until this moment that he would allow the accolades, he would allow the praises because he was setting himself up to let the people know that he was the king of kings. But it's, again, it's hard to swallow when you See him riding in on a donkey, a borrowed one. It wasn't even his donkey. It was a borrowed donkey. That's how Jesus rolls in. That's the paradox of Jesus as king. It's crazy. Although he is king, he enters in on this donkey. You see, this is actually in line with his life. The three years that we've known him as reading in the Gospels. This upside down kingdom. See, because the Gospel turns everything upside down. It defines success in terms of giving, not taking. Self-sacrifice not selfishness. Going to the back, not getting to the front. It shows that we win by losing, triumph through defeat. We achieve power through the service of giving to others. Friends, as we read the Gospels, that's the character of Christ. He's, he's been consistent. So for him to ride in on a, on a horse at this point would be out of his character. For him to ride in on a, on a donkey, humble, presenting himself to be king. See, that is a complete paradox. It's for us, in our mind, like I said, and I, I'm just coming to you and confessing, if, if this was me, I would not be riding in on a donkey. But thanks be to God, I am not a savior. I am not Jesus. And as he rode in on a donkey, he again had provided for us. And, and, and in Jesus' name, for you and I as a church, these characters, these, this uh, act should forge, it should mold and shape us as a church. This Text, as we read it, 
needs to make some type of effect in our lifestyle of character and of who we are. You see, as we read the, the New Testament, or, or excuse me, as we read the Gospels, we, we read about a Christ who proclaims, hey, I didn't come to be served, but I've come to serve. We read about a king, a savior, who washed the feet of his betrayer. We read about a king who would kneel down and wash the feet of the one who would deny him. We see him cross cultural barriers and meeting with the woman at the well. We see him going to where most people would not go. You can't go in that area. You can't go in that region. He would stir up things so that the Pharisees would say, wait a minute, you can't do that. You can't eat that food without washing your hands. Oh my gosh, what is happening? Jesus, this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's an upside down kingdom. It's different. You know, the other night, um, one of my favorite things to do is to snuggle my kids. And my two little ones still receive my snuggles. The two older ones, it's, it's hit, hit or miss. But the two little ones, they still want the snuggles and, and they like them. And so my son, my seven-year-old son, Judah, I'm, I'm all prepared. I got all my stuff ready. Uh, I got my water. I'm ready to go in there and, and, and snuggle. And, and the door's closed. And I open up the door. And he looks at me with horror. He says, Dad, you didn't knock. <laughs> I looked at him. I'm like, I didn't knock. What are you talking about? Knock. He's all, Dad, there's a sign on the door. It says knock before coming in. And I looked at him. I was like, son, do you know whose house? This is my house. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm like, son, I'm sorry. I'm not going to knock on the door. And he just looks at me. He's like, but dad, if you would have read the sign, it says, by knocking on the door, you'll be my friend forever. <laughs> it says that. I'm like, son, I'm going to be your friend forever with the knock or without the knock. And he's looking at me. And so we're literally for our first time, because we're like buds. This is the first time we're budding heads. I'm looking at him like, son, I am not knocking on the door. I, he's all, but dad, this is my room. And I'm looking at him, all that clothes, who bought you that clothes? Who bought you that bed? Son, everything in here, I bought you. And so we're butting heads. And, and I'm like, son, are you kidding me? I'm not going to knock on the door. Why should I knock on a door that I provided? And so I'm thinking, I, I'm kind of getting flustered. And I'm like, hey, son, listen, we don't have to do this snuggle thing. I can, I can go away. You don't want me in the room. Then I'll go away. And he's all, okay, fine. Okay, fine. So I'm walking out the door, and oh my gosh, in his voice, I can hear, you, you know how you can hear when someone's welling up in tears, and he says, it doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> and so I'm walking out going, what? And I'm thinking, 
no, I, I can't let it go down like this. So I go back in there. I lay down. I said, come on, son. I turn off the lights, and I'm laying down, and he's laying next to me, and we're not doing our normal snuggle thing. And I'm laying there going, this is, this, this is lame. I, I'm trying to snuggle him, and he's not snuggling. And so I just think about it. I'm like, you know what? This is dumb. I was like, son, you know what, buddy? I'm sorry about not knocking. I should have knocked. You want me to knock? I'll knock on the door, son. And I kid you not. He, he's next to me. He jumps up on top of me with his face to my face. And he puts his hands on my face like this. And he says, dad, you're the best dad in the world. Well, yes. You're right, son. No, I didn't say that. And he's, he, he literally is undone. He's like, and, and I immediately think to myself, wait, this humility brought this result? This is amazing. <laughs> right? Because as I left that room, I thought he needs to learn a lesson. This kid needs to learn a lesson that I provide, that I'm just, like, he can't tell me to knock. Like, what is, who is he? And I thought to myself that this would be the best result for him to learn a lesson, is for me to go and not snuggle him, for him to, to just learn. Learn, son. But as I'm, he's still talking to me, and I'm thinking, wow. I'm thinking this text, I'm thinking many things at this point. Wow, Jesus. You, you could have called down a legion of angels. You could have done this many other ways, but you did it this way. And the result? Man. Friends, humility is key. Humility, I'm a, a matter of fact, I'm convinced humility is key to our Christianity. Humility is key to our relationship with Christ. We, we can't get away from that. You read the New Testament. There's very few texts, and, and this is one of them. This is one of the texts where Jesus presents himself as king, and look at the way he does it. And the only other time that he actually raises his hand is, is he would now next go on into the temple. And he, and he would cleanse the temple, and then he would pray and weep over Jerusalem. Humility is key, friends. It's key to fulfilling the, the mission of God. It's key to getting great results. It's found in humility, not trying harder and getting her done and making it happen. And having that, that attitude that I had was, was going to get me something, but I don't think the same result. And as with every illustration, they all break down, but at the bottom, the bottom line, at the end of the day, you and I, if we can learn that humility is key, yielding, not trying harder, yielding, humbling, this, this will help us when we come into this place, when we have a yielded heart, when we have a humble heart, it's willing to receive, it's willing to yield and bend and receive this 
is key to our Christianity. And friends, this was key. It's what our Savior did. As Jesus rode in on a donkey, he was the lamb being led to the slaughter. He was the lamb being led to the slaughter. So not only did he teach these principles of humility and yielding and others-centered, but he lived them out. And friends, Christ Jesus is not just for salvation. He's for everything. Everything. Matter of fact, when, when we talk about the purpose of Christ, when we talk about um, what he had come to accomplish, he, he had said it best. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, I, I have come to bring life, life abundantly. That was the purpose of Christ. As he was heading down that road on that donkey, as people were worshiping the palm fronds, he knew where their hearts were. He knew that ultimately they would say crucify him, yet he remained on course. It did not distract him. He knew that those very people would spit on him. He knew that those people would hurl insults, yet he remained on course, this humble course of riding in on this donkey. Because he knew the mission was to give of himself. He knew the mission of God was to give of himself so that this broken relationship would be restored. That the enmity between God and man would be remedied. And so he stayed on course. And in staying on course, what I love about this account is that as he's riding in on a borrowed donkey... And as the people are hurling the praises, Hosanna, Hosanna, he remains on course. You can't help to think that he, he knew. It wasn't th th that this act, that what was to take place wasn't just for those who were gathered. But you and I were in the back of his mind. He knew that this event was so significant that he had to go through because you and I would be affected by it. And that's why he was able to say, I have come to bring life, life abundantly. I love that word abundant. Abundant. What? There's not a lot that you don't want in abundance, right? Supersize me, anything, just anything. Just give me more. I want more. It's kind of the American way, right? Well, listen, as believers, because he set himself up to be king, you need to know that we serve a king that owns it all. And so when we ask him for more, there is more. You know how when someone says, hey, I'll give you everything and more, and you're like, well, you only have so much. When he says, I'll give you more, that means more. That word abundant in the Greek, it, it has the idea to go beyond. To go beyond. 
superabundance in quality and in quantity. In quality and in quantity. It's not just more, more junk, it's more of quality and quantity. So when Jesus said, I come to give you life and life abundantly, ultimately what he was saying, because he had declared himself to be life, he was saying, in a sense, I've come to give you me and more of me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He come to give us more. Remember in Ephesians 3.20, that's kind of the idea. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask according to the power that is within us. Through Christ Jesus, we have more. Many people have the idea of abundant being uh, found in materialism, education, pleasure. No. That's foolish. That doesn't equate to the abundant life. Let me tell you what equates to the abundant life. Jesus and more of Jesus. That's what equates to abundant life. Jesus came that we might have more. Mas, full. Listen. Today as a church and in the last hundred years, I really believe that as a church, as a gathered people, this is an area where we really miss out. Because we compartmentalize things and we feel like, okay, I'll yield to Christ this area of my life and not this. Friends, there's more. There's more of him. All areas. All areas of your life, Christ wants to meet you there. He wants to come into all areas, your recreation, your home life. Friends, for some of you who are parenting like me, you want more Jesus. You want more. But you know what? You need more Jesus in your work. You need more Jesus in your play. You need more of him. We need more of him. And all that means is yielding to him. It's not like he's asking you to stop playing tennis. No, that's, that's not fun. That's not eternal. Stop playing tennis. No, play tennis, enjoying tennis with the one who's created all things. Invite him in to that situation. More, Jesus. You know, as I was going through this text and studying for it, I came across a story, an illustration of a commentator, and it was just too good to leave out. It's a story about a little boy who lived in a far country in the late 1800s, and he had reached uh, the age of 12, and he had never seen the circus, never seen the circus. You and I, maybe you get creeped out by circuses, but for this kid, back in the late 1800s, there was no gaming, there was no uh, all these other frills and thrills, and this, for this kid, was everything. He had wanted to see a circus from when he was a young lad. And so he was excited to see that there was a poster that went up at his school and it said a circus is coming to town next Saturday. And so the kid is excited. He goes home. He tells his dad and 
He kind of knew because they were poor that this would be a difficult situation. But his dad said, listen, son, if you do all your chores, all your Saturday chores, I will try to figure out how to get the money and we'll send you, son. And so the son, being so excited, he did all his chores ahead of time. And Saturday had come and he was all dressed up and excited to greet his dad in the morning. And as he greeted his dad, his dad said, good job, son. And he pulled out a nice crisp dollar. And his son knew that this, this was big. This is a huge thing. And as uh, his dad uh, gives him the, the dollar and he, he cautions him and says, be careful, son. And uh, now he's going to have to make this little journey to go and be a part of this circus that he was so excited about. And so he makes way through town and he gets to the outskirts and he sees the, the mass people. He begins to make his way through the people and he sees that, okay, here it is. And they're all lined up. They're all lined up and there's this spectacle of caged animals going down the road and he hears the roar and there's bands and there's trumpets and there's uh, horns and flags and banners and he's so excited and he's seeing these animals and he's seeing these midgets just doing the little cartwheels and so he's just caught up in this parade and he's just like this is it this is awesome and so as the parade comes to an end there it is the clown at the end right with the big shoes and the floppy ears and the red nose and and uh he's coming and he's kind of bringing it all to a close and kid reaches in his, his pocket and he pulls out the dollar and he hands it to the, to the clown. And as he gives the dollar to the clown, he runs home. And he thought, that was amazing. So amazing. That circus. The father says, no, son, that was just a parade. That wasn't the circus. And friends, you and I, Oftentimes, like that kid, we're amazed by the parade. We miss out on the circus. Jesus said, I have come to give you life, life abundantly. And the tragedy today and the tragedy of this text is that many people gather they're lined up for a parade. But they miss out on the abundant life. Some of you are like, hey, my life is like a circus. That's me. I feel like, like my life is a circus and I'm the clown. Some of you are like, yeah. Yes, this, this, I, yes. You know what? Sometimes our life feels like a circus. And that's why we need the abundance of Christ Jesus. We need more of him. See, friends, more of him just is just engaging, yielding more to him. More of him is recognizing, realizing of, of the depth of who he is. And inviting him into all areas of your life. The abundance. Friends, there's more. 
what, whatever venue, wherever you are, you can ask yourself, there's more of him. When you walk into these doors, are you set with a mindset of, I want the abundance of Christ. I don't want to miss anything. That's why sometimes, it, and I'm just going to say this in a loving way, because I know that there's parents here, I know that there's things and tasks, stuff's got to be done. But when we engage into our second set of worship, friends, therein is opportunity for more. See, for some of you, you're getting this study and you're like, okay, yes, I needed to hear this. And then you leave right after. And you miss out on more. Because God is wanting to draw you into more. Maybe he revealed an area of your life of where you have not yielded. And you think, okay, I got that. But you don't stick around and so there was actually more. There was other stuff. But you missed out on it. That's why we're constantly inviting. That's why you hear... Uh, Lazo constantly inviting us to, to come forward and the prayer team and, and, and come and sit on the carpets to engage. Why? why? Why are we pushers? Why are we peddlers to this? Is there a bonus for a pastor if we get more people on the carpets? No, there's no bonus. There's just more. There's more for you and there's more for me. He's come to give us more. He's declared himself king. And only him is able to say abundantly, I have more, both in quantity and in quality. Friends, let's be a body of believers who are constantly yielding for more. See? Because there's the application. Humility and knowing that there's more. Opening your hands to more. God, more. I want more. I need more. Reveal to me where I've lacked. Reveal to me where I err. Because God wants to. Friends, there's a great work that he wants to do. Even this morning, even this morning, as we set our sights for Christ Jesus in the second set, as the worship team comes forward, begin to ask yourself, God, where am I lacking more? Where do I lack humility? Then let's engage in worship and prayer and praise. See, because this last verse, Jesus says to the Pharisees who were tripping out and saying, Hey, Jesus, quiet your disciples. What are they doing? They knew the significance of what they were doing. They were worshiping him as king. And it was troublesome to them. Understand this. That the enemies of Christ are always disgusted and baffled by your praise. That's why there's such an attack or difficulty. Maybe you find, why is it this second set of worship? Why is it so difficult? Maybe because... It's an attack. Maybe because there is a, a spiritual realm and there is an enemy of your soul. Jesus declared in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he's come to give us life and life abundantly. There's the battle, friends. The battle is to either confound you 
or to give you abundance. When we leave, sometimes we cut off the abundance of what Christ wants and we give in to the enemy who is such as this. Jesus said it best to them. He said, listen, man, I can't shut these people up. Because if they don't cry out, the rocks will. And I'm pretty convinced that uh, Alex doesn't know this song because it's an old gospel. It says, ain't no rock going to cry in my place. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to glorify his holy name. Ain't no rock going to cry in my place. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to glorify his holy name. Friends, you have breath. Don't give in to the enemy's tactics. If you got to go, you got to go. But if you ain't got to go, you come and make it happen. Don't let no rock cry in your place. Engage. Seek to get more. He's our king. He's the splendor. He's everything. Friends, if there's anyone to give all attention to, it is him. It is him because he is the one who yielded himself for you to have this beautiful, loving relationship. And he wants to continue to foster that. Friends, don't give in right now. Let's cry out. Let's praise the wonderful king of kings. Amen? Church, amen? Lord, we love you. Yep, let's cry out. Lord, we love you. As you rode in on that donkey, Lord, you... yielded and you humbled yourself, declaring yourself to be king, our king. And this morning, Lord, we, we, we want to gather around you and say thank you. We want to worship our king. Lord, I, I, I pray that right now as we engage with you, it'd be as if never before with a greater understanding of what you've done to allow for this freedom of us to worship you. We want to shut the mouth of the enemy. We want to praise the king of our kings, our Lord of lords. Pray you would clear our hearts and our minds, allow us to hear what the Spirit has to say in regards to both encouragement and error. We want everything, Lord. We want the abundance here, right now. Holy Spirit, come fall afresh on us. Ignite in us. We come and we gather around you. and We're bringing the logs and we ask that you would bring the fire. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.